All right. Last week I had a, a spontaneous idea that what we should do is when the children all go out, we should go to the chapel. We'd be gathered closer. We could record and do that. Then I realized we don't have the recording. Uh, and the seats in there are not as comfortable as these seats. So somebody would complain. So I let that idea go away. So we are in Matthew. Uh, Our discussions in Matthew have been tracing several themes that weave their way through Matthew's uh, gospel. One of those is the idea of people getting Jesus wrong. The disciples are constantly misunderstanding him. Herod misunderstood him. There was a point at which John the Baptist wasn't sure if he was the one or should we wait for another. And the religious leaders of the Jewish people seem to really misunderstand him. Uh, Another theme, and that's the one that we looked at uh, last week, was text and tradition. The relationship between the biblical revelation and the religious traditions that can enhance, but in some cases may actually contradict the scripture. And so we need to be careful about that. So we looked at that last week regarding defilement. Uh, You're not defiled by that which is external coming into the stomach. Jesus says, but by that which comes out of the heart. And the issue of washing the hands was a ritual that didn't really directly bring about defilement or non-defilement in that sense. He also um, was manifesting the theme of the kingdom of heaven as being near in the healings and the miracles that he would accomplish among the remnant of Israel. And then he spoke in parables so that those who have ears and eyes to see and hear would have an understanding of the faith and increase in that understanding, while those who do not would remain confused. So this week we're going to return to a theme that we looked at a couple of weeks ago uh, of little faith. Uh, But we're going to look at it from a different perspective. Not little faith in the sense of too small, but in the sense of not seeing clearly and therefore trusting too little. We talked about that eternal perspective versus temporal perspective when we talked about Peter walking on the water with his eyes on the Lord and on the idea that the Lord could accomplish anything, he could walk. Uh, But when he sees the wind and he sees the seas, he begins to look at the circumstances. They argue that you can't do this. He begins to sink. Jesus grabs him and says, Oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt? So that little faith, I see as short-sightedness. We become short-sighted in that we don't see the eternal things and what God is capable of doing. Uh, We see the temporal things and assume that they are locked in and concrete. So we're going to begin in chapter 15 in verse 21 where we left off. We left off in verse 20. We'll pick up and finish the chapter today. Uh, There is a, a passage here. It says that Jesus went away from there and withdrew into the district of Tyre and Sidon. And a Canaanite woman from that region came out and began to cry out, saying, Have mercy on me, Lord, son of David. My daughter is cruelly demon-possessed. He did not answer her a word. And her disciples came and implored him, saying, Send her away, because she keeps shouting at us. But he only answered and said, Um... I was sent only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. But she came and began to bow down in front of him, saying, Lord, help us. Help me. And he answered and said, 
It is not good to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. And she said, Yes, Lord, but even the dogs feed on the crumbs which fall from their master's table. Then Jesus said to her, O woman, your faith is great. It shall be done for you as you wish. And her daughter was healed at once. This is a fascinating text. And uh, there is much that we could look at. I want to keep our theme about uh, our discussions that these texts are primarily given to Israel. But we have in here some Gentiles occasionally that are used to contrast. So in this notion, Jesus retreats to the area of um, uh, Phoenicia. Uh, Today, that would be modern Lebanon, to the area of Tyre and Sidon, which would be the area just below Beirut today. It's north of Israel as we we see it now, but at that time, uh, people would travel freely back and forth in those contexts. And so what happens is, Jesus is encountered by a Canaanite woman who lived there, and she says to him, Have mercy on me, Lord, Ben David, son of David. Uh, This title indicates that she had a belief that Jesus was in fact the Messiah who was to come. Though not a Jew, she was instructed in the kingdom to come. And she hoped in the promise that the Gentiles would be blessed in the promises made to Abraham. And she is desperate because of her daughter who is ill from demonization. That would be probably a better way to translate that instead of cruelly demonized. Uh, But Jesus doesn't respond to her. He just goes on his way while this woman... Now think about it. What's he doing up here? He's gone up into this area. uh, It has Jews in it, but not not that many. And this woman is following him like the crowds do in Israel. And he's ignoring her. But she's not ignoring the disciples and she's driving them crazy uh, with this shouting. So they say, send her away. And Jesus says these words. They're fascinating words. He says uh, to them, I have not come except to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Now this is an overlooked statement. That Jesus' ministry is not to the Gentiles. Remember he said to, the, to his disciples when he sent them out, don't go to the Gentiles or even the Samaritans. Go only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. He is coming as a sign to God's ancient people. He is coming in his high priestly uh, ministry. He is coming to as a prophet to manifest that the kingdom uh, is at hand. And yet, um, uh, Gentiles know about him. They respond to him, but he generally does not respond to them. So, what she does is, uh, we need to keep this in mind because... We, we all see this through the eyes of Paul, who later would see the extension coming to the Gentiles. So our tendency is to read these texts as if they're primarily to us, and they're not. They're primarily to Israel, and then by extension to us. And that should help with our interpretation. So, uh, the disciples say, get her out of here. Uh, and Jesus says, I'm not here for her. Uh, I'm here for Israel. Now, 
She bows down before him and begs for help. And Jesus gives her a statement that for us sounds harsh. I don't think Jesus is surprised by what's going on. He's come to this area. He doesn't have the large crowds following him. This woman is coming. She is driving the disciples crazy. They're focused on her. Now, in the context of that, Jesus says, it's not right to take that which is for the children and give it to the dogs. And when that verse is preached and talked about, a lot of people talk about, gee, Jesus is calling people names and he's being derogatory and all of that kind of thing. There, it's an interesting thing. This word for dog is a word for a little dog or a pet dog. I wish we had uh, called it puppy. Now you hear what Jesus is saying. I've come to feed the children. It's not right to take their food and give it to the puppies. Okay? These puppies are in the house. These puppies are beloved. These puppies are part, but they are not the focus. The focus is the children. Now the woman, she says, that's true. She knows her place. One of the things that happens in the Messianic movement is that Gentiles are always being a little pushy and I'm always trying to back them down uh, because our place is to come alongside Israel, not to replace Israel and not to guide Israel. They're, a, they're supposed to be a guide to us in that sense. So she says, that's true, Lord. But it's also true that the puppies eat the food that falls from their Lord's table. She's not an outside dog. She's not a stray. She's part of the household. She belongs. The beloved puppy who is seeking the good that she knows will come from her Lord in that she does that. Every time I read this verse, I can see our our pups. uh, Whenever we go to the table, boy, they are right around the table. Because they figure we're going to lose something and they're going to get it. Right? That's the imagery. Now Jesus responds to her. Woman, great faith. That's what he says. We translate it, great is your faith. Right? This is not little faith. Oh, ye of little faith. This is a Gentile who knows her place as a Gentile, but trusts that the blessings of Abraham will extend beyond Israel to all of God's people. And she's ready for that. And he says, your faith is great. You see beyond. You have what you, you have that eternal perspective. And therefore, it will be done according to your wish. According to your desire. And Matthew tells us that the daughter was healed from that hour or at that time. Jesus didn't have to go there. He didn't have to touch. He didn't, they, she didn't have to touch the tzitzi. There was none of that. He simply had to do that. Now you remember the other Gentile in the Gospels where this happens. The guy whose servant was sick. And he comes to the Lord and the Lord is coming with him. And he says, Lord, you don't have to come. 
I'm a person under authority. And I know, I say to one, you go, and to this one, you come here, and they do what I say. If you just speak the word, my servant will be healed. And Jesus said, I haven't seen this kind of faith in Israel. Now, there is an advantage to being Israel in that they have the scriptures. They have had the culture created by God. They've had the testimony and the prophets and all of that. But it doesn't mean that we are left out of that. We can see those things that God has done. Sometimes we may be able to see it clearer. And we can, we can have the faith of these two Gentiles who are testified of in the, uh, in the scriptures. Now it's interesting here that Jesus does not further teach his disciples. And Matthew makes no further comment. It's simply a window for we Gentiles. We're not left out. And even if the focus of the scriptures and the activities of God are primarily about Israel, and I believe they are, we are included and we're capable of that great faith. I believe it's noteworthy that Jesus had this side tour to go to meet this woman. You recall that Jesus will say to the Pharisees at some point, were there no widows in Israel that Elijah went to the woman? He went outside and provided the miracle and the sustaining and all of that. In other words, God is concerned about us as well as Israel, though his focus and his manifestation comes primarily out of Israel. So we're going to stop at that point and see if you have any questions or thoughts. Okay, we're going to move on then. All right. Uh, Matthew 15, uh, verse 32. We pick up there. Now, we're going to pick up at 29, sorry. Um, Departing from there, Jesus went along by the Sea of Galilee, and having gone up to a mountain, he was sitting there, and large crowds came to him, bringing with them those who were lame, crippled, blind, mute, and many others. They laid them down at his feet, and he healed them. And the crowd marveled as they saw the the mute speaking, the crippled restored, and the lame walking, and the blind seen, and they glorified the God of Israel. You see the focus comes back? We're back to the, the multitudes of Israel. who are The leadership of Israel doesn't like Jesus very much, but the people love him. And they're bringing their sick and they're coming because this is what Isaiah had prophesied. They were aware that uh, Jesus is the one who is doing what Isaiah said that his servant would do. I want you to turn with me to Isaiah chapter 35. I'm going to read the entire chapter because it's only 10 verses. And you will see Matthew's connection and what is going on. In this context, the wilderness and the desert will be glad and the Arabah will rejoice and blossom like the crocus. It will blossom profusely and and rejoice with rejoicing and shouts of glory. The glory of Lebanon will be given to it. The majesty of Carmel and Sharon, they will see the glory of the Lord, the majesty of our God. Encourage the exhausted, strengthen the feeble. Say to those with anxious heart, take courage, fear not. Behold, your God will come with vengeance. The recompense of God will come, but he will save you. And the eyes of the blind will be opened. 
and the years of the deaf will be unstopped. And the lame will leap like a deer, and the tongue of the mute will shout for joy. For waters will break forth in the wilderness, streams in the Arabah. The scorched land will become a pool, the thirsty ground springs of water. In the haunt of jackals, its resting place. Grass becomes reeds and rushes, a highway will be there, a roadway. It will be called the highway of holiness. The unclean will not travel it, but it will be for those who walk that way. Fools will not wander on it. No lion will be there. There will be no vicious beast on it. There will be not found uh, there, but the redeemed will walk there. And the ransom of the Lord will return and come with joyful shouting to Zion and everlasting joy upon their heads. And they will find gladness and joy and sorrow and sighing will flee away. They're getting a glimpse of the kingdom. And they're seeing this when the deaf can hear and the mute can speak and the lame can walk. And it reminds me of that great hymn, Oh, for a thousand tongues to sing, my great Redeemer's praise. Hear him, ye deaf, his praise ye dumb, your loosened tongues employ. Ye blind, behold, your Savior comes and leap, ye lame, for joy. There's nothing in this life that can't be fixed by resurrection and the kingdom to come. And that's our hope. And faith looks towards that and endures this. And does, as I said earlier, as Tyrone always said to me, keep the faith. Keep that faith great, not little, in that sense. So we're going to stop there and see if you have any thoughts. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. So, so why the replacement thing? I think I think there's some historical reasons why the church began to think of it as Israel and Israel is not Israel. Some of it were they're reading the Hebrew scriptures with Greek minds. The prophets are pretty rough on Israel. They 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 really rip on Israel as being unbelieving and hard-hearted, stiff-necked, and all of that. And if you read that, and they're experiencing that in what they think they see Israel, then of course they say, oh, okay. And then they begin to interpret verses. So I think there's a historical reason. It's not a good reason, but a historical reason for it. I think beyond that, once that methodology began, we simply ignore context. This verse is not often preached. I have come but to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. When, when Jesus says, don't go to the Gentile, go to the Samaritans, they say, he is talking about this testing period for them because he's eventually going to send them uh, to, the, to the nations, right? And what's happening, I think, is they're reading Paul, who is actually saying, now... The gospel is opening up and there is a partial hardening of Israel so that the Gentiles can be included. They interpret that as Israel's done and now it's, it's the church. And so I think we're up against that. Um, for me, and I was steeped in that, when I went through my rebellious period, uh, I, there was a time when I read the scriptures in part to get free from them. I wanted out. Uh, I was trying to just let go of God. 
And as I read the scriptures, I kept thinking, this is not what I've been taught. So I'm thinking there's something wrong with me. And the more I read it, the more I thought, this is a different message. And when I then realized that was the message of it, then I felt disqualified because of my rebellion. And it took a while for me to feel comfortable coming back into ministry. But I think that it is one of those things where the church has bought into that line and they simply don't want to give it up for fear it will uproot other things. Um, I don't, you know, the scripture says, let God be true and every man a liar. I mean, at some point we have to say, I'm going with what God says. Uh, Even if most of God's people don't believe that, uh, that's always been the case. Most of God's people have misunderstood or not gotten it. That doesn't void the word. So I think that's, that's a partial answer. I don't know what else to do with that. Any other questions on that one? Okay, we're, gonna, we're running on again. Okay, we're now going to pick it up with the uh, second uh, feeding of a multitude. And uh, in this case, we pick up at verse um, uh, 32. So the people are glorifying the God of Israel. For the healings. So Jesus calls his disciples to him and he, and he said, I feel compassion for the people because they have remained with me now three days and have nothing to eat. Now, clearly, this is not Baptist. Baptists can't get through a morning Sunday service, starts getting around noon, and Baptists start getting hungry and anxious and they don't want to hang around. But these people are hanging around for three days without food. Just a little comment, right? Uh, So, the disciples, he says, uh, I do not want to send them away hungry, for they might faint on the way. So Jesus is even concerned about their, I mean, he's healing them. He's concerned about their temporal needs as well. Because what did he say? Seek first the kingdom of God, and these things will be added to you, right? So, the disciples said, where would we go to get so many loaves in this desolate place to satisfy such a large crowd? And Jesus said, how many loaves do you have? And they said, seven and a few small fish. Now, I love that number. That number's interesting. How many loaves did they have last time? Five. So they got more than last time. They had two fish, five loaves, right? This time, they've got seven loaves and some small fish, right? So he says, all right, tell the people to sit down. Right? It's picnic time. And he took the seven loaves and the fish and he gave thanks. He did the bracha. Blessed are you, O Lord, our God, King of the universe, who brings forth food from the earth. Uh, he gave it to the disciples. The disciples give it to the people. They all ate and were satisfied. And they picked up what was left over the broken pieces, seven large baskets full. Now, you remember last time, they ended up with 12 baskets, one for each of the disciples. This time, they had seven loaves and ended up with seven baskets full, right? So there is enough to satisfy and more as well. And those who ate were 4,000 men besides women and children. So we're looking at probably 12,000 people, uh, give or take, in that context. So, we... We've got uh, kind of a repeat here of Jesus feeding people, 
making do with what they had and multiplying it. And the result always being that they have more when they end than when they started. Okay. Uh, now this is greater than the miracle of Moses in the wilderness. Moses, they had food and they had water all the way through there, right? Uh, they had a little extra on Friday so they could get through the Shabbat. But they never had extra. And the day they come into the land, the manna stops. But in this case, they are given additional. This is going to be very important for next week when we get to the next chapter. Because having experienced this twice, the disciples simply don't get it. And it's going to be uh, part of the problem uh, that is happening here. So, he says the 4,000 men plus wives and uh, children. And he sends the crowds away. And he gets into a boat. And he goes to the region of where uh, Magdala is, is. Uh, So he's coming down the Sea of Galilee. Now I want you to see this notion. Jesus went and connects with this one Gentile woman. Even though that's not his his primary ministry. But, But her faith is great. In other words, God is working among all peoples. Even if the focus is in Israel with Jesus in incarnation, right? Because God is able to function everywhere, right? That's what's going on. And then we have the healing, the manifesting of the kingdom, the, the Isaiah hopes are what we are to look for. And then he provides even the temporal needs when there is meager supplies to the end that all the needs are met and there's an abundance even in that context. Those are really important uh, lessons. So, the ministry and focus of Jesus is the people of Israel. They have leaders, who are not, uh, but they're not being led well. Uh, he is manifesting the kingdom to them. And occasionally we see these Gentiles who have great faith as a reminder of, of the blessing coming even to us. Uh, but great faith is rare. We are all short-sighted. And Jesus will continue to teach and manifest the kingdom of God uh, and his purpose in coming And they will struggle to get it as we today struggle to get it. But the good news is this. Even with little faith, he will not be unfaithful. God will accomplish his word. As I said before, if we trust and we get it, we will enjoy the process more than if we are confused by the process. But the process is not confused. We're the ones confused. God knows exactly what he's doing. And he hits every mark exactly right. So thoughts or comments on that last, that last part? I want you, uh, I want you to, uh, to look ahead in chapter 16. Uh, we're going to look at the Pharisees and the Sadducees coming to him. Uh, they're not coming because they want to follow him. They're coming to, to test him. Uh, and he's going to begin to try to teach his disciples about discernment. This is the same thing as that tradition. 
It's the idea of, well, do we just do this because it's tradition and they're in charge? There is a tendency to think with religious leadership says something that, well, they're closer to God. That's not necessarily true. I once said uh, to people that a great way, place to hide from God is in denominational work. Because what happens is you kind of become the professional religious person. You put it on when you come down to do a meeting and then you go your way. And it doesn't have that everyday life effect. The reality is uh, those who walk with God walk with God every day, not just Shabbat or the Lord's Day. And, uh, and there are many people in ministry who don't walk with God. They walk with God's people and just go through the motions. And, uh, and we want to watch out for that. We're going to see some of that. And we're going to see Jesus trying to get his disciples to understand that that hypocrisy, and that's what he calls it, is the heart of hard-heartedness. It's a callousness towards God and a manipulation of the people of God in his name, which is a great evil. So we'll talk about that uh, next time. So let's, let's pray and uh, then we'll replace the scriptures.